The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, guess what? We made it to Friday. It's amazing. I hope that you guys have yourselves a wonderful weekend after this episode right here, or actually including this episode. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm like, I hope it's. Uh, I hope you have a shitty and we fucking give you weekend. Permission if you're listening to this at 8 a.m., call in sick, have a beer. <laughs> That's right. Remember, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, so margaritas for everybody. Yes. All right, so today we've got part two. Of Ishisagawa. Ishisagawa. Oh. Ishisagawa. Makes me want to be a ninja. Does it? Does it really? Oh, yeah. Bring something to the ninja in me. <laughs> Samurai. <laughs> no. And remember, he's only like, what, four foot seven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think he's, he's like little, four foot nine or something like that. Little itty bitty motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> God well, dang. What's even funnier is if you watch the thing on, um, it's on YouTube, the video, uh, the documentary. And when you watch it, he wears like a suit, you know, like a business suit. And it looks like he's swimming in it. <laughs> he got his business suit off of a Ken doll is what he did. <laughs> he went to the toy store and said, take that one right there. Oh, I am ninja and a samurai. It's like, so dude, bad. you're not even the size of a samurai's um, special sword. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> I'm glad that you got that one. <laughs> <laughs> Took me just a split second. Not as long as some of them do. <laughs> Okay, now remember, Ishii Sagawa is the guy who um, had the uncle who played that game with him when they were kids. Like, he pretended like he was going to cook them and eat them. And so he developed this fantasy about eating, you know, killing and eating a woman and or being eaten himself. It's all part of my cannibal fantasy. Is that a re- that is not a real song? No, but the song the, the song actually goes. It's a part of my rock and roll fantasy. I know I, when you were singing, I was like, "Wait a minute, that's not right." <laughs> I can't remember who sings it offhand. It could be Boston, but I can't remember. Oh. Well, and remember also that he has this infatuation with um, Western women yeah. that are, shall we say, more Rubenesque in size and Western girls. Yeah. And Easton Town and Denoa. Is that right? I don't know if I ever had that word right. I think so. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So now he, um, you know, it's he's in. Now he went from Japan to Paris. And he's been sitting at the Salon. And then when we ended, he had encountered Renee Hartvelt. And she would change. His world changed forever. Remember? Uh-huh. Okay, now, the moment E.C. laid eyes on young Renee Hartvelt, he was utterly <laughs> captivated. She was a stunningly beautiful student from the Netherlands. She's my people. And she was in Paris so she could enroll at the Sorbonne to study literature. She was an extremely gifted young woman with academic brilliance, and she had always dreamed of attending school in the elite university. You know, when I worked with cows. With who? When I worked with cows. Moose, oh. you know. Yeah. The first time that I helped a mama cow give birth. <laughs> Were you utterly captivated? I looked down. I was utterly captivated. <laughs> she had I knew that just where calving, that was going. That just calved glow. <laughs> <laughs> that just calved. <laughs> she didn't have that pregnant glow. She just had the just calved glow. Just, cla- just calved glow. Yeah. So and she said, she said, <laughs> said, Scotty, I said, yes, little Mabel the cow. I only have eyes for Moo. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> Are you done? You know what? And you made fun of my Dublin joke. 
I'm just saying. Just can't. I, I'm just calculating my odds. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> That one was a stretch. What, do you have a beef with me? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so Renee had no idea that before long, her dream world would turn into a nightmare, especially after she and Ish Ishe became acquainted. He had just returned from a visit to Japan when he enrolled in a modern literature class being taught at Sauvon School of Oriental Studies. Renee was quite possibly the exact woman he, he had been fantasizing about for the past 30-some-odd years. For that reason, he couldn't stop thinking about her. He knew that she was the one he had he had been waiting for, and he began concocting a plan to live out his fantasy. Now, Isi always took the metro to get back and forth from his classes. One afternoon, as he was boarding, he found himself standing face-to-face with the woman who had consumed his thoughts since the moment he saw her. At that moment, he felt it was destiny that brought them to the same spot at the same time. He couldn't let the opportunity slip through his fingers. It was his chance to make a move. Renee recognized Ishii from their literature class, and as he sat next to her, she gave him a polite smile. Since he knew they shared a common interest in literature, he used that to engage her in conversation. Despite his painfully shy nature, he knew he couldn't let that stop him from getting what he wanted. Now, she was a bright young woman. Although she realized he wasn't exactly comfortable initiating conversation, she could also tell there was a very intelligent man behind the shyness. She even found him to be rather charming and witty. Now, Ishii was smart enough to realize that their first chance encounter wasn't the right time or place to make his ultimate move. However, it was still a very pivotal moment for him. He was able to break the ice and lay the foundation for for more events such as that in the future. He couldn't wait for their next class to arrive. He had every intention of continuing with his plans. As soon as the professor concluded the lecture, someone in their group suggested that they all go to eat at a local Greek restaurant. Now, since he was a member of the study group, he was actually included in the blanket invitation. Um, And you'll find out why I say that in a little bit. As Renee, as was Renee, imagine his delight when she too was eager to participate. You know, because it's like they're being thrust together. I think he thinks it's destiny. Mm, Thrusting. Gotcha. Um. Let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, granted, she was always polite and congenial when he was around others. However, he still had to make a conscious effort to fit in with those around him. Thankfully, the other members of the study group were highly interested in his Japanese culture. In fact, they all stated that they'd always wanted to find out what it was like to eat a traditional Japanese meal. Now, Ishii took advantage of the situation that was presented to him and invited the entire group over to his apartment so he could prepare a special meal for everyone. Um, He told them he would make his specialty sukiyaki. Isn't that a song? It's all because of you. I've never heard it. Oh. Anyways. I don't even know what this dish is. Sukiyaki is a noodle. Japanese noodle dish made with meat. With the yaki. Yeah. But they all agreed to attend, including Renee, and the date was set for the near future. Now, on the night of Ishii's dinner party, the only one member of his group, study group, arrived at his door. He had always known that his acquaintances considered him to be rather odd in nature. In fact, he never really felt as if he could truly call anyone his friend. However, when he opened the door that night, he could barely contain his excitement. The one guest that decided to show up was Renee. You know, again, fate, right? Finally, they would be alone at last. 
He gently led Renee to his living room with its open floor plan and intimate setting, and he found it surprisingly easy to maintain a conversation with a beautiful woman as they shared several common interests, mainly their mutual love for literature and music. He even regaled her with his numerous academic accomplishments. As I came across this part of the, the events that transpired, I couldn't help but imagine Ishii as a Japanese Hannibal Lecter, eloquently imparting his wisdom and and as his guests hung on his every word. He even tried to impress her. He tried to impress her even more with his knowledge of the classical music legends and his sophisticated culinary taste. Oh, right. a telling me, Miss Avernay, all the llamas are still screaming. <laughs> No, but oh. I remember. Remember that dinner party in Red Dragon? Oh yes. Yeah, where he's serving wine after he just killed the the flautist. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I just watched that again the other day. Good movies, man. It I, is. I, I, I love oh. the Hannibal Lecter series. Oh yeah, That's especially cool. Hannibal Rising it gives you a totally different perspective of him. Oh, totally. Cause it starts off when he's uh, when he's a kid. Yeah, so in the war. Whole backstory. Yeah. The entire time, Ishii and Renee conversed and ate their meal, he was in an elevated sense of arousal. In fact, he started to become even more obsessed with her and her beauty. He almost made the move to carry out the rest of his plans that evening, but he managed to resist the temptation. The That's like me with cake. <laughs> Just saying. Oh my gosh, when my son and I went to the, the Ren Festival, mm -hmm. they had this chiffon chocolate chiffon cake which they gave us samples and it was delicious and then we tried that it was called a japanese ice cheesecake oh my god so good i gotta learn how to make that i know it was delicious how'd you killing me it man it was almost like a custard as opposed to a regular cheesecake you're killing me with my diabetes i know killing me small heavy breathing uh, tell me more about the food you can have a food uh, gasm over there <laughs> hell yeah i mean you know me i love food I am. I know you I'm do. chubby for a reason. You it's know, not because I don't like food. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> my my sister wife's daughter one time asked me if some vegetables were good at a restaurant. I said, "Does it look like I enjoy a vegetable or two? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, since I'm in such great physical condition, <laughs> obviously I, mean, I, I live on veggies and lean meats. But it's not like the one I choose, right? I avoid, I avoid uh, you know, anything like lean meats or vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Big Macs the whole way. That's, coming out with a chicken mac now, too. That's how I got this trophy husband body. <laughs> I just had an image that I want to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Don't you turn my brown eye blue. Yeah, that wasn't it. I was thinking oh. of you, like, t playing with your nipples. <laughs> I'm going to have to send you pictures like that. Yeah, no. Fuck. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the only thing that held him back was that she threw him off his game when she was the only guest to arrive for his little dinner party. Since he had expected more people to show up, he wasn't quite prepared to follow through with the rest of his fantasy. However, he had to come up with a way to get her alone again. If he could do that, he knew he would be able to bring everything together just perfectly. Since Renee's arrival, Issy had been monopolizing the conversation. Suddenly, he suggested that she tell him more about herself because he wanted to know more about what her interests were. As she opened up to him, he realized the perfect opportunity actually presented itself. She talked about how she had been short on finances recently and that she was fluent in three languages, English, German, and French. She used that little, he used that little tidbit of information to open the door for another encounter. 
Ishi had told Renee that he had always wanted to learn to speak German so that he could read some of his favorite romantic poetry in its original written language. They have German romance poetry? Why? No, I can't see how. I mean, they always yell at each other. That's German's like not Russian a... poetry. I mean, yeah. is that flowery? It's really freaking aggressive. <laughs> I know. It's like, you're saying you love me, but it's so aggressive. I'm, I'm confused. I, I know. I'm I, a little I, scared. I don't know what to do right now. I don't know whether to pee myself or what. <laughs> I think I peed myself a little bit. Don't say <laughs> I love you ever again. Just Never. It was scary. Yeah. So, um, oh, he asked her if she would be willing to tutor him and he would be happy to pay her for her time and effort. She agreed to his request and they set a date and time for her to return to his apartment. As Ishii walked from Renee to the door to bid her good night, he eagerly anticipated her return. He fully planned to carry out his fantasy when she came back to tutor him in his, quote, German lesson. Now, a couple nights later, Renee arrived at Ishii's studio as planned. As he opened the door for her to come in, he was giddy with the anticipation that he had been, that had been building since she left. Even though he had psyched himself up for what he wanted to transpire, he would be having he wound up having some reservations about his plans at the last minute. He later said that when he was faced with the reality of what he was about to do, he thought twice. Now, up until that moment, despite how powerful and detailed Ishii's fantasy had become, it was still only a fantasy. Even though it seemed to consume his thoughts every waking moment of his day, it had not yet become a reality. He still had a moment to turn back. Now, he was once again hit with the gravity of what it might be like to harm another human. For that reason, he chose to forego his original plans for the evening. He had missed yet another opportunity to live it out. Um, after Renee, oh, after Renee left is what I was supposed to say, um, Ishii kicked himself for being such a coward, you know? Well, he probably didn't have a hard time getting his leg up there, but. Oh, I am so short, a cockroach can kick me. Oh, I can do it myself. (laughs) And then, um. Despite having such dark passions, his fear always seemed to get in the way. He was having an inner battle, and it appears as if his deprived desires were losing. When it comes to most serial killers, they talk about how they would struggle not to kill their victims. However, when it came to Ishii's case, it was as if he faced the exact opposite dilemma. The decisions he faced regarding whether he should kill someone and live out his fantasy or not was mentally draining for him. Now, Ishii was becoming more and more frustrated with his situation. I, it got to a point where he even <clears throat> wondered if he would ever be able to carry out his plans. After all, masturbating to his fantasies was no longer satisfying enough to hold back his inner demons. He knew if he were going to control them, he had to make them a reality. He vowed that the next time she came over, he was going to make it happen. He couldn't and wouldn't miss another opportunity. Now, when Renee <coughs> came over again, although... He got closer to making his fantasy a reality. He again failed. Easy had her sit in the middle of the room on some cushions that he had placed on the floor. And then he handed her a book and asked her to read some passages. While she was reading the words on the pages, he quietly made his way over to a cupboard where he kept a 22 caliber rifle that he said was for protection. And Renee was so focused on her task that she didn't even notice that he was standing behind her with a weapon pointed right at her head. He slowly reached for the trigger, squeezed. However, nothing happened. As his luck would have it, the rifle had jammed. When that happened, he was worried that she might have heard the click, right? 
but she carried on reading from the book. He went. He quickly went back to the cupboard and put the rifle back before she realized what was going on. Then he rushed back to her side and positioned himself on the floor, acting as if he were hanging on every word and absorbing the information she was teaching him. Now, one might think that considering he had failed every attempt thus far to fulfill his ultimate fantasy, he would consider the gun jamming to be a sign that he should just try to overcome his obsession some other way. Nah. Yeah, nah, not a quitter. However, he was bound and determined to succeed. He had a mission, and he would stop at nothing to carry it out. On Thursday, June 11th, 1981, while Rene was sitting in the middle of his living room floor, he again grabbed his rifle out of the closet and snuck up behind her. This time, the gun didn't jam, and the bullet went through the back of her neck as she fell face first into the carpet. He watched as her blood spilled and spread out around her head. Now, I'm going to tell you, this gets very graphic. So, if you can't stomach it, I'm sorry. <coughs> I know you can, but some people yeah, might not be able to. Now, when Ishii was giving his statement to the authorities later, he told them that when he saw what he had done, he fainted. However, there's been nothing to corroborate that statement. Some have said that it's hard to believe since it, it would be a natural human reaction, and they didn't consider him to be a natural human. But... Seeing his inner struggle before this, I think it might have been possible. Now, Easy said that when he regained consciousness, he was he was still feeling a bit queasy. But as he looked down at Renee's lovely body lying still on the floor and realizing he was the one to have made her blood spill, he had what others might refer to as a, quote, out-of-body experience. Hang on, I gotta take a drink of water, sorry. Drink deeply. You can do it. <laughs> No, he claimed that he was suddenly afraid of her lifeless form and that the feelings he was having were nothing like the ones he was expecting to have. In other words, the seeing her when he saw her lying on the floor didn't the seeing her lying on the floor didn't elicit the sexual arousal he had in his fantasies. However, his alleged feelings of utter repulsion didn't last very long because he quickly set about turning his most depraved dark thoughts into his newfound reality. Once Ishii had the... Uh, hang on. Ishii... You're right? Yeah, I, I messed up what I wrote. And now it got me... There we go. Over the... There we go. It threw me for a loop. Once Ishii got over the extremely uneasy feelings he was having over murdering his classmate, he removed all of her clothing. He later stated that removing the clothes of a corpse is harder than one might expect it to be. You think? After you would he, think. Yeah. I've heard it's hard to get them on the corpse, too, but... I try to get people say, naked when they're alive. Name, Scott? <laughs> no, I try to get them naked when they're alive. <laughs> Except for that one time at band camp. <laughs> but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what happens at band camp stays at band camp. <laughs> After she was completely naked, he looked down at her creamy white skin that was still s- supple and bit into the left cheek of her buttocks really hard. Then he went to the kitchen, to the small kitchen of his studio apartment and grabbed the sharpest knife he had, which happened to be his eight-inch carving knife. Go figure. And when he returned, he once again gazed down at her smooth flesh, which had occupied his thoughts for what seemed like such a long time. Then he got down on the floor on his hands and knees and began to cut into the flesh of the dead woman in front of him. He later said he started by, quote, slicing through a thick yellow layer of fatty tissue until he got to the red meat he desperately wanted to taste. Ever so slowly, and and this is going to make some people 
like queasy ever so slowly almost as if he were watching someone else perform the actions he worked the knife in a back and forth slicing motion until he had removed a nice section of her flesh as he held the thin slice of meat in his hands he brought it to his lips and gently placed it in his mouth on his tongue he bit into it and slowly chewed he wanted to savor every flavor it offered his palate. He later stated that at that moment, it tasted like a raw piece of tuna that he would expect on a sashimi plate. Hmm. Now I want tuna. <laughs> I just, as I was reading this, I was like, oh my goodness. Never eaten a human before, so it might be good. I don't know. Well, see, I don't know either, but to, because I know what raw tuna tastes like. Yeah, me and too. I enjoy the experience. Shut up. <laughs> I enjoy, you know, and I don't like raw salmon because it's a texture thing, but I do like raw tuna. And I know that the first time I tried it, it was an amazing, it was a delicious experience. I can't see eating a human being the same way. You know what delicious. I mean? Yeah, well, well, yeah, not this way anyways. <laughs> so Ishii State, I just, I'm sounding more and more like you every day. You're a pervert. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Now, Easy stated that as his jaw moved up and down, as his jaw moved up and down as he chewed on that piece of Renee's flesh, he was not the least bit shocked to discover he had an erection. She tasted even more magnificent than he could have ever imagined. After he was finished savoring the first bite of Renee's luxurious meat, he rolled her corpse over onto her back. Then he removed a portion of her upper thigh. This time he got caught up in the moment and he devoured it right then and there. He didn't savor it. Oh, she only has thighs for him. (laughs) Ishii's arousal became too much for him to bear. He quickly removed all of his clothing and finally lost his virginity. Well... The partially with the partially eaten woman on the living room floor next to him. Hey man, beggars can't be choosers. Dude, to lose your virginity to a corpse. It's one time at band camp. Oh my god. No. Now that Ishii was sexually sated, sate is that the word? Sated. Thank you. And I know it's satiated, but you know. He was once again faced with the overwhelming reality of his action. He now had a dead woman on his living room floor, and there was blood everywhere. And we all know how hard it is to get blood out of anything. Tell me about it. Oh, never mind. He knew he had to dispose of it somehow. It was now time for him to move on to the next stage, which was to take place in the small bathroom of his studio apartment. He laboriously lugged Renee's body to his bathroom, which I'm sure took him quite a bit of effort. Yeah, a little tiny bitty guy. <laughs> Look at, and that wasn't a pun when I said it. With the knife, <laughs> the same knife he had used earlier, Ishii set about removing both legs from the torso. Then he did the same with her arms. This time he sliced around the shoulder joint to the socket and removed them like he would separate the bones of a chicken thigh. His words, not mine. I know, right? The last step was to sever Renee's head. Ishii thrust the knife into her soft the soft tissue of her throat and made quick work of it. The entire time he had the sense of keeping sense to keep the cold water faucet on so that the blood would wash down the drain. Um, AC has always maintained that the process of dismembering Renee's corpse was the least pleasant part of his whole experience. (laughs) Then again, there's never been any evidence to corroborate that claim either. Just his word. According to making sweet love to my dinner was fabulous. (laughs) 
But separating her was laborious. I hated when we had to separate. It was heartbreaking. (laughs) Is it a legal separation or a forced separation? It was forced separation. I can't talk about it. I'm still distraught. (laughs) I'm sorry. I did that wrong. Oh, it was a forced separation. I cannot talk about it. I still distraught. Oh. (laughs) I... Very, very sad. Hey, hey. Now, oh, according to most sexual sadists who have been known to mutilate and dismember their victims, the act of doing that gave them immense satisfaction. Even though Ishii said that this part was rather repulsive to him, it didn't stop him from moving more, removing more sections of her flesh. He carved stakes from her buttocks and thighs, covered them neatly in plaster wrap so he could preserve them in his freezer and well, enjoy them He's doing it right. Later. He's not like leaving it out to rot. This is true. Now, after that, Ishii began removing her breasts. He later stated that he didn't find this task particularly appealing. In fact, when he talked about going through the process of the actual murder and systematic dismembering, of, he claimed that it wasn't as satisfying satisfying as as fantasies because he had always fantasized about removing their breasts once he had the breasts severed from the body he said that it reminded him of the entrails of an animal that it mainly resembled quote a revolting lump of fat he decided not to consume renee's breasts in the long run it's kind of like my ex-wife what a revolting bowl of fat oh my god <laughs> What? What'd I say? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was not nice. <laughs> what? I didn't say anything. Oh, my God. Anyways, a lump of fat. <laughs> he decided not to consume Renee's... Oh, I never said that. He also removed her anus and tried to eat that, but he said he wasn't able to get past the odor, so he passed on that as well. Apparently, he's not into eating ass. Girl, you're so Maybe good. I would eat people. your ass. Oh, no, never mind. You need a shower. <laughs> you know, maybe if you kill more people, it gets easier. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. You know, eating ass is kind of... As the bar. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, like, eating ass is sometimes hard the first time, but once you do it, you kind of get used to it. It's kind of like murder. Except you're murdering an ass. That's my PSA for the day. I can't even go on. Just say it. That's actually my PSA for the week about eating butt. Just keep going. You can do it. <laughs> now, over the next day or so, Eastwood coming up. you get go, past the smell, you got it licked. <laughs> I am so tired. Stop it. Over the next day or so, Eastwood would come and go from his apartment as if it were a normal day. Each time he left, he took some of Renee's personal items with him as he slowly went through the process of disposing of everything. All of the items he had available to him, he chose to keep. Her pants as a trophy. Yeah, he kept her pants as a trophy. Excuse me. Once he was finished consuming the preserved portions of flesh, flesh, he had to have something tangible to relive his initial foray into depravity, right? Mm-hmm. On one of his trips into the city, he went to the department store and bought the two large suitcases, which he filled with portions of Renee's dismembered body parts. Then he zipped up the bags and stored them until he had the opportunity to get rid of them. Now, During all of this, Ishii continued about his life as if he hadn't done 
something horrific. Some members of his study group invited him to go to the movies, which he eagerly accepted. Those who were on the excursion with him later stated that the entire time he seemed to be completely relaxed and even maintained his usual sense of humor. Perhaps he was as good of actor as he as th- those he admired on the big screen. When Ishii returned home that night, he fixed himself something to eat. He took a couple of steaks he had carved from Renee's body out of his refrigerator, fried them in a pan like he would a ribeye. Well, he's hungry. Medium rare was his preferred deadness. His words again. He later claimed that although it resembled veal in taste, it had a tough and chewy texture. Even though that's the butthole. That's got to be the butthole part. Even though he had taken the time to tenderize it. My whole thing is, is he says it tastes like veal. I don't think veal tastes anything like pork, and we've heard people say it tastes like pork. Right, that's why it's called long pork or long pig. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, long pig. But with a little salt, pepper, and yes, a dollop of mustard, Ishii said that the meal was still enjoyable enough to arouse him sexually. Every time he made a meal of Renee's remains, he had some sexual satisfaction. He savored every bite of the meat he found to be more pleasing. He found every bite to be more pleasing to his palate than they had tasted before. By the time Saturday night rolled around, he decided it was time to dispose of the rest of the remains that he didn't have preserved in his refrigerator and freezer. His apartment was too warm to prevent the remains tucked in the suitcases from giving off the stench of decay. He actually said it was surprised that it took him to took them two days to start emitting an odor. I just don't think that he was smelling it. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Because here's the thing with like a lot of Asians. There's a lot of ginger and a lot of garlic used most of the time. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of spices, period. Yeah. So I'm just saying his sniffer may not have been That could be. I mean. Good. I, I, that, that's just my theory. That's just my theory. I, I, I got really nothing. Although Asian, I mean, Japanese cuisine isn't as pungent as, let's say, kimchi or oh, yeah. Chinese cuisine is. So, yeah, or especially Vietnamese. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I like some Vietnamese food every once in a while, but that stuff there, like the Vietnamese people, always smell like heavily of processed garlic. Yeah. My son and I had some Filipino food the other day. We had this uh, pork with a in a shrimp paste sauce made with coconut milk. Delicious. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, it was cool, so cool. good. I've eaten a lot of Filipinos and uh, uh, I'm, uh, food. I've eaten a lot of uh, Filipinos. It's pretty good. Yeah. You're so bad. Now, um, oh, that's when Ishii went through the events that took place in the park. When the authorities arrived at his apartment and entered the premises, they found the rest of Renee's remains tucked away in his small refrigerator in his little kitchenette area. In fact, the picture showed that his fridge was filled and his table was covered. Damn. Yeah, in parts of her. It was like he had a smorgasbord. You know, it's like he had a buffet for a wedding party. I don't know. Hey, man, it's a Rene buffet. <laughs> but not the bottle. <laughs> or the breast. Or the yeah. breastesses. Yeah. After law enforcement officials are arrested Ishii <coughs> and had him down at the station, he sat down and gave them a full confession. He went through every sort of detail of the way he murdered, mutilated, and consumed portions of her flesh. Even though the investigators later said that he was very polite and showed a small degree of remorse, they clearly saw that Ishii had killed Renee for the simple sexual satisfaction that it provided him. According to what he told the authorities, now that he had lived out his fantasy, he didn't think he'd feel the need to do it again. Oh, okay. Yeah, whatever. Hey, fair, well, he wouldn't because his, his 
kitchen stocked. His freezer stocked. <laughs> yeah, until he was out of food. <laughs> he's, he's got Renee forever. Uh, come on, man. Yeah, if he stores it right, it'll last a long time. He has food's, Renee for long time. Food that shit. I love Renee long time. <laughs> <laughs> now, according to Ishii, the, quote, demons that had driven him were gone. He had satisfied his depraved sexual fantasy for the rest of his life. Despite his claims, law enforcement officials weren't convinced they were true. Considering the amount of flesh that he had preserved in his freezer and refrigerator and knowing the acts he had committed, they knew that locking him up for the rest of his life was the only way he wouldn't repeat the process. The detective said he should be locked away in a jail cell or in an insane asylum. No matter the location, all that they cared about was getting him off the streets so they wouldn't be a, so he wouldn't be a danger to anyone else. But why waste all of Renee? I know. Let it, uh, hear me out. Hear me out. Feed somebody. I know that it's fucked up, but guys, she's already dead. Yeah, you can't bring her back. You ain't bringing her back. Which is kind of what we said with Patrick Kearney, because yeah, it was fucked up that he had sex with the corpse, but he had already killed them in probably one of the most humane ways we've seen a serial killer do. Totally, you know, and granted, even if you could bring her back to life, parts of her going to be missing. Yeah, she'll be like Evan Peters in that one in Coven of American Horror Story. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and what what are you gonna do with a corpse without a butthole? Like for real? Yeah, that's right. Even your corpse is everywhere. A and... So let him fucking just finish it out for fuck's sake. <laughs> Nothing you can do is gonna bring Renee back, and the man's hungry, and he's a small guy. He needs <laughs> he to eat more. Food. Maybe well, he'll grow. He, Maybe he he'll grow. He honestly thought that if he could eat a robust woman, it would give him strength and help him. You know what I mean? And then I go to be a big Japanese. <laughs> no, dude, no. So, oh. each officer that spoke with Ishii made a comment about how eloquent he was. Contrary to the majority of offenders they come across, the short little Japanese man before them was more than willing to be very forthcoming about his actions. No matter what question they asked, he. He didn't hold anything back. In fact, he seemed to expound on all the sort of details. It's like they would ask him one question, he'd go, yeah, but, and give him more. No matter the opinions held by the investigators that arrested and questioned him, it didn't make a difference. I'm sure they were more than happy to let the courts make the decision of how he should be should and would be punished. As far as they were concerned, once he was in jail and the charges had been filed, their job was complete. It was now in the hands of the justice system. However, in the end, I'm pretty sure they were all shocked by the outcome. Now, it's not surprising. Huh? Oh. It's not surprising that when it came time for the courts to try Ishii, the first thing was to address the issue of his mental health. Now, the judge, the examining magistrate Louis, Louis Brugger, I don't know, decided... Like the I, cheese? Like Greer cheese? I, it, well, it's Brew. Yeah, I think it's Brugger because it's kind of spelled like Greer. Oh. Yeah. Brugger. Decided that the, the uh, first thing he had to do was fly to Japan himself. He didn't want to leave the task of finding out about Ishii's past to anyone else. He just knew that something in the man's early childhood or adolescence led to him becoming a cannibal. His, he started by interviewing Ishii's parents and his brother, June. After that, he would move on to talking to his, Ishii's doctors and that professional psychiatrist that was given the details regarding his, the attempted attack on the young German girl that said he was, you know, crossed ethical boundaries. No. When he was finished with the interviews, he realized that the questions he had about the what drove Ishii's actions wouldn't have any clear answers. 
Everyone he spoke with, the people closest to Ishii and his extended acquaintance, didn't have any idea what led up to his acts of murder and cannibalism. By that point, Akira, Ishii's father, was an influential and wealthy businessman. When he had heard about what Ishii had done, he caught the first flight to France and retained the top defense attorney available for his son. He was making it clear that no matter what, the entire family was going to support the troubled man. However, that decision would take its toll on Tomei, his mother, when she suffered a nervous breakdown a little later. Which, I give the father props. You know what I mean? Because the Asian culture prides themselves on the children doing better than they did. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, totes. totes so for, for him to like be totally supportive of his son despite the low, depraved levels his son had sunk to really says a lot about his character. So press from all over the world had been all too eager to print the details of Ishii's case. However, at some point, they began to make it obvious they were stunned by the length of time it was taking for the case to actually go to trial. It took approximately two years from the time he was arrested for murdering the young Dutch, Dutch student Rene, but in 1982, Judge Bruguer declared that he was ready to rule on the case. <laughs> According to him... Quote, anybody prepared to kill and eat someone could not possibly be mentally sound. In his legal opinion, the acts that Ishii committed were obviously those of an insane man. He's crazy. Now, the judge no, hold stated. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Huh. Can we really call it murder of Renee? Like, really? Isn't he just taking her out to dinner? Asking I thought you for had a, a legit question. That's my legit question. Didn't he just cook her a meal? He technically just you know had what? a friend for dinner. Just like Hannibal? Like just I'm like, meeting an old friend for dinner. Just like Hannibal. It's just that he got he got his signals crossed. That's all I'm saying. Yes. A little bit. Now, he's, the judge stated that it was his belief that Ishii was actually suffering from, quote, an advanced form of dementia. Therefore, it would be in the best interest of everyone involved if the defendant were to be sent to the Henri Colin, Col, Colin, Colin Asylum for an indefinite period of time. He ruled that Ishii would not be tried for murder. Now, this is my problem with this whole thing. Is he's ruling that Ishii couldn't have been sane for doing that, right? Okay. And he's saying that he has an advanced form of dementia, Right. Right. Then how does he explain his coherent and eloquent conversations with the detectives afterwards? Ah, I can explain that. Okay. Because ex-wife number three and a half, the midget. Yeah. You know, her dad, when he got dementia, had very lucid moments where everything was a-okay. And then times when he had not so lucid moments where he like would... You know, like poop in the laundry basket. Okay. I mean, I guess I can kind of see it. Because I, 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 I watched a sitcom a long time ago called Raising Hope. It's about basically this white trash family. Ooh, did you say hope or hoe? Hope. Oh, gotcha. Where this white trash family, the teenage son gets this girl pregnant and everything. And 
the mom ends up doing some stupid shit, going to jail. So they're, he's raising the child. Well, he doesn't know what to do. And his parents did, didn't do a great job raising him. So they're trying to help. Well, they live with their grandma in her house. And she's got dementia. And it's played by Cloris Leachman. And every once in a while, she has that lucid moment. And when she has those, they have her fixing their car and everything. Because she's pretty intelligent. <laughs> but, yeah. So I can kind of see it. Because, yeah, like, uh, like, my ex-wife's uh, dad, well, actually, it's her stepdad who raised her. With the with her mom, great guy, man, mm-hmm. like fantastic. And I was kind of sad because the the one thing he wanted to do because he when he had dementia was he was before it gets too bad. I actually want to go hunting one more time, and Aww. I was getting ready to take him hunting, but my ex mother in law shot that down. Oh, I said he's not going to be in any danger. I'll be with him every step of the way to make sure everything goes See, fine. That's so sad. Yeah, I wanted to take him hunting one more time. You know. Yeah, well, when my mom's old work, the place where she retired from, they had what they called... um, Make-A-Wish? No, well, it was kind of like Make-A-Wish, but it's where the old... The resident in the nursing home or the assisted living has an opportunity to do something, A, they've always wanted to do, or something they've done before and want to do again, right? And I remember one time this guy literally wanted... he He was a former Navy pilot. And he said he wanted to fly again. And so they arranged for him to be taken up in one of the F-150s. Not F-150s. F-14s. Oh, you know, in port, at Portland Airport. I say, wow, I didn't even know that was a feature on my truck. But <laughs> okay, tell me you more. Know what I meant. Like, where's that button? And the Tomcat. Anyways, and so they arranged for that so he could do flying again. You know, go flying again. Yeah, fair enough. And so it's like, so for her to shoot that down, it's sad to me. It was sad to me, too, ma'am, because he, he was actually, while I didn't get along with my former mother-in-law very well, I got along with her stepdad really well because him and I would make fun of her. No, was her mother-in-law. short, too? No, normal oh. size. Her dad was, though. Her, her, her dad oh, was her only like, was? yeah, like, he was like, he's like five one or five foot. And then, of course, you know, uh, yeah, my, my former Oompa Loompa, she's like four foot three. Oh. Maybe four or four on a good day if she jumps. If she wears the shoes that my biggest fan had on today. Yeah, if she wears big old platform shoes, she might get up to five, uh, four, 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 five, somewhere right around there. <laughs> and then she can't, it's hard for her to do the oompa loompa doopa do dance. So. Now, from the time Ishii was arrested to the moment the judge ruled on the case, every detail of Ishii's acts had been fodder for the press. Once they heard the judge's decision regarding the matter, they kicked their printers into overdrive. They ridiculed the judge ruling, the judge's ruling and the French judicial system as a whole. The main question the media has was that, had was this. How could this heinous killer who had so ruthlessly dispatched and mangled a beautiful young girl purely to satiate his own needs be spared a trial? As it turned out, it was the same question the rest of the world was asking. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I'm going to answer that. If he truly had an advanced form of dementia. Okay, I don't buy it because I've seen interviews with him today. Oh, see, I haven't. I'm just yeah. going on the information no, that I'm getting. I know you're going getting. on what the judge is saying. I'm just going to say, I've seen interviews. He doesn't. Oh, then you know what? Piss on this little fuck. In fact, fuck. there's a little tidbit I'll tell you at the end that makes you go, you know what, you little fucker. 
Um, according to the articles printed at the time, the press seemed to be in consensus that the murder was a classic case of a disgruntled lover killing the woman who rejected him out of revenge. Granted, it was exponentially more horrendous and gory than what they were typically encountered. However, it was obvious that Ishii had planned out every detail of the murder, mutilation, and cannibalism before he carried it out. But the murder itself wasn't that heinous. No. Okay, I... I, It was the acts afterwards. Okay, well, even the acts afterwards really were... Well, and leading up to it, too. Okay, leading up... Well... No, not even. He engaged her. They were they friendly. He didn't terrorize her. He That's didn't true. torture he didn't her. Stalk her. He didn't. Yeah, nothing he didn't like that. Her. Let's the, let's get to the root of the thing here. He popped her in the fucking head with a twenty-two. She dies. Boom. She's gone. And yeah, then, like, yeah, he mutilated and you know chopped up her body and ate part of it. It sounds horrible and it sounds really grotesque. But but, dude, she's freaking dead. It's yeah. not like he sat there and go and went. I'm going to keep you captive and terrorize you right. and eat you alive and not, nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, and he nothing didn't like rape that. her or yeah. Right, he did have sex with the dead body, but still, she's freaking dead. Yeah. No, Jesus I see what you're Christ. saying. Meanwhile, we got the fucking press over here. Going, it's the worst thing we've ever seen. No, it isn't. It's not the worst thing you've ever seen. You no. dumbasses. Jesus No, no we've, Christ. We've cush- we covered, um, what's his name? Shiro Ishii for crying out loud. Yeah, Shiro Ishii is way, Dude, he, by far worse. He vivisected live patients. Yeah, yeah, and they, they want to sit there and act like And they freaking, gave him immunity, so whatever. And, 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 and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying what he did wasn't wrong, it wasn't bad. Right, no, I get it. And I'm not even saying what he did was not disgusting. Right. I gotta respect... The fact that he didn't torture her. There's no torture. There's no rape. There's yeah. not. She didn't even know what yeah. happened. And in her last moments, I think she was actually happy. She yeah. was reading in German. She was teaching somebody a language. You know, she didn't even know. Okay, pardon my pun. What hit her? Yeah, no, I, and I agree. I'm not even taking that as a pun. But you know, uh, <laughs> ah, dang man, they. What he did was gnarly. Yes. And but, it shouldn't be condoned. No, it should in any way, shape, or form. Right. Should he be in prison? Yes. Yes. Okay. Or locked up. Or at least locked up and away from people, because I think there's a chance he'll reoffend. But yeah. it's not as bad, or even remotely as bad, as because I've become cynical now that we're at our freaking we're like 270 freaking episodes in. Oh yeah. 269. I'm Actually, it's 269. This is 269 that we're doing right now. Oh. <laughs> we're one off because remember we oh, didn't yeah, do a Friday. Right. That's right. <clears throat> but in 269 episodes, we have seen people who've taken children. Yes. We have seen parents. Who've beaten who... and raped and tortured their yeah, children. and used their children as sex slaves. We have seen people who have abducted people off of the streets. Yes. That were innocent teenage girls raped and tortured them and recorded them on tape. Yes. And then said they were having a Halloween prank. Yes. Yeah. We have seen people, and I'll bring up Randy Kraft because we were talking about him earlier, that yes. mutilated his victims' genitals and, and doped while them they were alive. While yes. they were alive. We've seen people like William Bonin that did things like put pull cues and things and yes. other miscellaneous objects up the rectums of yes. his victims. This is not 
Yeah, that Dean bad. Carl, who had a torture board for his victims. And yes, and the Wesley toy box killer. Allen, yeah, the toy box killer. And Wesley Allen Dodd, who freaking, you know, was building a torture rack for his child victims. Yeah, yeah for his kid victims, because he specialized in kids. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm not saying that I condone anything he did, and I think that he should no. be locked away. 100%. But in comparison to the others we've covered... Yeah. The reason why I'm bitching about this is because the press, we talked about this earlier this week on an episode, is blowing it out of freaking proportion just to sell the media. Right. Just to sell a newspaper, just to sell a fucking TV program, just to sell a newscast. Right. And not just that, is they don't have an emotional vested interest in the case. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not like they're her family members who want justice. Because, granted, if that were my sister, daughter, mother, friend, I would want justice. Right. And it's not even the worst thing to ever happen in France. No. No. Let us not forget. The, uh, what's his name? Marquis de Sade. Marcel Patois. Oh, yeah. Marquis Mar- de Sade. The Marquis de Sade. You never read that book? I don't think so. I think it was based on a real person. Oh, yeah, no, pretty sure Marcel Patois. Yeah, Marcel Patois. Who was giving these people asylum and freaking incinerating them. Yeah. So not even, and that even Patois isn't the worst yeah. thing and to happen said, in your country. And then said that they deserved it because they were pimps. Yeah. <laughs> so not even, we've covered things out of, out of France that isn't even remotely yeah. well, then let's close. Look at Andre Chikatilo, who was a cannibal himself. Look at what he did to his victims. Yeah, because there, there was capture and there was torture too, wasn't there? Yeah, he would he would abduct them, take them off to an air, to a secluded area, rape them, mutilate them, then kill them and eat them. Yeah, you know. So here we have the press. Yeah. Given this little midget, you know, a ton of shit. Just to sell their their version of the story. Yeah. Is he a heinous killer? Yeah. What he did was, was fucked up. Yeah. Okay, but sitting there... What, it, what are they going to accomplish by... Yeah. I think it's twofold because I've been on this race kick here lately, just seeing how everything's turning out. And I'm, I'm against black racists as well, which I think Black Lives Matter is, is racist. That's just me. But you're talking about a white girl? It's yes. beautiful. Now, what if she was a homely girl? Yes. And she wasn't super popular. Or she popular. was a prostitute. Or she was a hooker. This woman was an affluent Dutch student at the Sorbonne. Yeah. Which is a highly respectable, very expensive school. But I bet you if she was a hooker they and he did the same twice. thing, the same exact thing, mm-hmm. or if she wasn't popular and she wasn't affluent, yeah. I would bet dollars to donuts that the we wouldn't press, have even heard about it. The press would kill. Yeah, the press would not give a Two half shits. a crap mm-hmm. about what happened to her. But because she's affluent and yes. she was popular, yes. Now, she was a, yeah, she was, a, and it was an Asian man living out a a very, sick fantasy. Well, not just a sick fantasy, but it's one of those ones that nobody understands. Right, you know right, right. Because I mean? it's a taboo. Oh, totally. You totally, know? totally. That's like the Freudism, you know, the all the good, you know, however dream you have, you want to have sex with your mother or father. And well, here's the thing is because the the verbiage that that's being used right now, and I'm sure you got these quotes from a reputable source. Ah, uh, yes. You know, heinous killer. 
ruthless dispatch. Yeah. Mangled a yeah. beautiful young yes. girl purely to satiate his own needs. Uh, yeah. You know, things like that. It, th- th- those those are powerful. The, the, they the are. power words. Well, not just that. It's, yeah, they are very powerful words. If it was I, a hooker, I guarantee it would oh, it'd no. probably read like this. Even if they had questions. We don't understand how this wealthy Asian kid, man, yes. thought that it was okay to go out and murder a hooker. But she had a drug problem her. anyway. But she did have a drug problem. Yes. So that could have and led to a criminal to record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would have been it right there. Mm-hmm. That they, they wouldn't have said, we don't see how, the, how this man could kill a beautiful prostitute. Yeah. Nobody would say that. No, and no, but you're right. They, they are. I mean, and I think that's kind of why, you know, I did say it exactly how they quoted it because you know, I'd get pissed off. No, not that, but because I wanted people to see how the world looked at it. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous, man. No, I, di- I didn't expect you to get that pissed off, but you know, no. But I agree with you. I agree totally with you. Because we've seen it before, you know. Well, they should have known better. They were hookers. They put themselves in danger. Exactly. You know, or, you know, what could they expect? They're drug addicts. They were on the streets. Yeah. Or um, the homeless people. Well, you know, they're just taking up space and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. This wouldn't have even made the front page of any newspaper below the fold. It wouldn't have been anywhere front of maybe section B. Yeah, if maybe. or page ten. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a little bloop. And I'm just, I, I, I'm disgusted at what he did. Okay. Oh yeah, me too. Because I, I just, for me personally, uh, cannibalism is a way of life in some tribes in in South right. and Central America. Right. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shit on their parade. But I'm I not gonna shit on these guys. Their culture and religion too. I think it, you're right. When we did the when we did the Chichen Itza tours, the tour guide said that. They would play this like game that the way the thing was set up, it looked kind of like Quidditch, but not Quidditch, <laughs> you know, and these these men would be chosen and they knew that the loser would be thrown into or something. Yeah, the loser or the no, maybe it was the winner. I can't remember, but they would raise their hand and volunteer to be the one. Because they knew that they were sacrificing themselves to the gods. Oh, wow. And they thought that if they could do that, then they would be a god. Well, okay, no, you know it makes sense. Mean? So they wanted to be sacrificed. So I, I don't want to shit on these people for their beliefs, okay? Yeah. This isn't a belief system that he has. This was a sick fantasy, and I, and I can do that. But I just get so irritated with the mainstream media, how they... They don't give two shits about Renee. No. Matter of fact, if Renee just disappeared altogether, nobody in the media would care, even if her family went to the newspapers and the the news stations and said, hey, help us find our daughter. Right. It would just get a perfunctory Well, look at Natalie Hathaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not Natalie Hathaway. Natalie Holloway. I know who you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. And uh, now... Because of, and you know what I think it is, is because a he was an affluent man, and she was an affluent woman. Okay, right. And so they're, I think this is what it is. They're comparing it to okay, this affluent man 
killed this affluent woman, but this affluent man is getting a break because of his money. Uh, that I agree with. Okay, you know. I do believe in my heart of hearts, now that I have new information, that he did get a break because of his money. Oh, but, you'll, you'll see a little bit more here in a minute. But with that said, mm-hmm. name one politician even here in America. Oh, dear God. Don't that get me started. doesn't get a break because of their financial status. Oh, I know. I mean, so, let's not even get into Anthony Weiner. <laughs> Oh no, shit, huh? But yeah, you know? so we got the press going. Oh, see, it's because of money. And, and look da, at da, how da. look at how much R. Kelly got away with. Oh, look oh at how yeah. Much Epstein got away with before he finally pissed off the Clintons. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, hypothetically speaking, oh yeah, because I'm sorry. I would never say anything bad about that's the. That's what Kate Brown said. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, the Kate Brown had said that. And didn't Ensley um, say something too? I believe Ensley said something yeah. about that too. I'm just repeating. I just I think the Clintons are a great family <laughs> they, and would they never are. do anything bad Look, or a, if you're in danger blink twice. <laughs> 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 no, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, cuz you do see it a lot. I mean, look at how much freaking Harvey Weinstein got away with. Exactly. Before the girls are finally said, "You know what? This is bullshit." But this guy's not a politician. No. So the second it's not political, they're you know, it's because of his money. Yeah. Oh, bullshit. It is because of his money. But you know what? You know what? If you're going to call out this dude because of his uh, his financial situation, call out your own politicians in your individual state, your local yeah. government, and your country. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Make it fair. Don't be a freaking hypocrite. Yeah, totally. Okay, no, totally. I'm done bitching because I want to have bitching? dinner. Are you done bitching? No, you're not. But um, No, I'll bitch a little bit later. I? Um, oh, in their humble, profit-driven opinion, see what I said there? Ah, that's cute. I like that. Ishii should have been tried in a court of law rather than committed to an asylum for the insane. They felt that justice has not been served when he was swept away to a mental institution without the judge giving him a better explanation for giving them a better explanation for his decision. So they're saying you wronged us because you didn't tell us exactly why you did this. Uh, piss on them. You know, Honestly. like I said, they're humble, profit-driven. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So the press wanted Ishii to pay for his actions. They wanted closure for the parents of the deceased, they said. And they wanted answers to their questions. In the end, they wouldn't receive any of that. And they don't deserve it. It's no. none of, It's honestly, it's none of their fucking business. And they don't care about Renee's parents. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. So Just get once, so pissed. Well, check this out. Once Bruguer ruled that Ishii was, in fact, insane for committing his horrible act, the man was in a state of denial. Ishii himself. He refused to understand why the judge thought insanity really pertained to him. I mean, oh, look at Gifford's okay. in the mouth, right? Yeah, no shit. Yeah. He indicated that he would have preferred the confines of prison cell rather than the asylum he was ordered to spend his days in. He absolutely abhorred the other patients in the institution because they were truly crazy. In fact, he resented the idea that he was being compared to them just by being there. You know I- what? <laughs> this Ishii guy, Ishii guy, just gained some points. <laughs> so Respect, dude. Yeah. So at some point after he was transferred to the... French asylum, he tried to make an effort to understand himself the way others did. He set about utilizing his spare time by writing an autobiography. 
He never actually felt that anyone would read what he wrote. He just did it as a form of therapy. Was it a cookbook? I don't know. I didn't read it. <laughs> did you say cookbook? Yeah. Oh, I think was you said it a good Renee book. Buffet book? No, but I'll get into a little bit here in a minute. Little did he know how wrong he was in that obsession uh, assumption. assumption. As it turned out, the public was highly interested in the mystery that surrounded the small Japanese man who cannibalized the Dutch female classmate. One day, he received a surprise visit from Japan, a celebrated author by the name of Enikyo Yomota. Uh, the two spent several hours talking with each other, and in the end, Ishii handed Yomota the missives he had written about himself. It wasn't until later that he realized that his writings had been published. And in fact, when he discovered that, he was not only dismayed, he actually felt betrayed. Because he thought he was just sharing them... With another a, writer. Yeah, with another yeah. writer, not to be published. You know, because I think they were his own private thoughts. Okay, you know? yeah. No, totally. So as it turned out, Yamada had taken the pages Ishii wrote, edited them, and presented them to his agent as a book titled In the Fog. According to the reports I found, the agent was more than enthusiastic with the submission. He didn't hesitate to find a publisher that was willing to print and release the manifesto. Once it was released, it hit Japanese bestsellers list immediately. Oh, I imagine so, man. Yeah. The media gave him plenty, plenty of marketing. Right. In the end, despite the fact that Ishii felt somewhat betrayed by Yamoto's deception in publishing his private thoughts without his permission, he became proud of what he had accomplished. He felt it was as if the first time in his unremarkable life, others were truly interested in what he thought and said. Okay, that's understandable. Now, prior to In the Fog being published, there was a Japanese playwright by the name of Juro Kara, who had taken some of the pages Ishii had written and included them in one of his novels. But that novel never really had an effect on him personally. Then Yamada's novel was released that gave him gave every macabre detail of what he felt while consuming his victim. How it had no smell or taste and melted in my mouth like raw tuna. Finally, mm, I was delicious. a beautiful white woman and thought nothing was so delicious. I've been there, buddy. I know. This was when Ishii found himself in the center of the spotlight in regards to the media outlets in Japan. Now, he was in the juxtaposition of being both infamous and famous at the same time. He was what most considered an enigma. Murderer who was able to use his extreme intelligence by giving an explanation for his unspeakable acts. They, The world was hungry to find out what he had to say. And probably hungry for anybody named that was white name Renee. Yeah. The otherwise dubious student of foreign origins who couldn't claim to have any real friends or acquaintances, yet boasted a dark passion, suddenly gave birth to a true cultural icon. In fact, the world devoted their attention to soaking in the details of his cannibalistic acts for years. In other words, his celebrity status lasted until 2002 Woo. when they were shoved to the side while the population of the world was confronted with the acts of a German killer by the name of Armin Maywis, who we will talk about in another episode. Um, so, where was I? Oh, in 1985, an extremely popular magazine in France called the Paris Match got their hands on the grotesque crime scene photos that depicted Renee's dismembered and mutilated corpse. The editors 
check this out. These people who, the press, who was so outraged by what Ishii had done, it's the same press that didn't have any misgivings about making those extremely insensitive decisions to publish those pictures. See, and that's why I get pissed off about mainstream yeah. media. Well, it's like, okay, so you're sitting here bitching about how he's getting off, but you're going to capitalize on her, on her tragedy, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that decision ultimately led to the authorities arresting one of the journalists involved in confiscating, involved and confiscating approximately 25 million copies of the magazine that contained the gruesome photo montage. Good. I said 0.25 million, but as it turns out, when that published article was combined with the publicity that arose from Ishii's writings, there was another surprising twist in the case. The citizens of France were fed up with the focus of the media headlines regarding the cannibal and his tales. Good. They wanted nothing more to do with him and what he had to say. Okay? So not long after the citizens of Paris, France, France determined Ishii and his actions weren't worth their time or attention. His dad, Akira, paid the necessary funds that had allowed his son to be transferred back to Japan. Even though it seemed as if the press had their fill of the cannibal, his, his deportation was a media frenzy, to say the least. That's a given. The, can, the killer cannibal had now become a best-selling author, a quasi-celebrity. They ate up and profited from the fact that he was now allowed to leave Paris in general, and more specifically, the country of France. He couldn't wait to embrace his newfound popularity. Now, the deal that the, that uh, his dad and the country of Japan made was that we will release him to you to go to a mental institution, but we do not want him to return to France. Fair enough. Okay, but there was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A caveat? Well, no, it's like um, like a catch-22. That's a caveat. Oh, okay. Well, it's not what I was thinking, so no. Um, anyways, but I'll get into that. I don't know if I put it in here, but I'll, I'll touch on it in a minute. The killer... Oh, bah, 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 bah. oh, being there was already a frenzy built up by the press regarding just letting Ishii return to Japan, the courts decided they would first transfer him to the Matsuzawa Hospital in Japan. Once he arrived there, he voluntarily agreed to be housed in a private wing so that doctors could assess and examine him psychologically. He later stated that the entire time he was at Matsuzawa, he never felt welcomed by the staff or the other patients. You think? The close-knit psychiatric professionals in the facility agreed with each other that he was completely sane. Well, thank you. He did too. The reports of the doctors indicated that Ishii committed murder because he wanted to satisfy his disturbing sexual perversions. He was nothing more than an evil little man who didn't belong in a mental institution but prison, according to Japan doctors, right? Law enforcement officials in Japan tried to get paperwork from the judge in France that it would allow them to pursue charges against Ishii. However, their requests were refused. Therefore, only after only five years of being regularly relegated to a mental institution on October 12, 1986, he was set free. You know why? Because he didn't commit the crime in Japan, Japan. so therefore Japan could not try him for the crime. Exactly. And France didn't want him back, so therefore he couldn't be tried for the crime. Yeah. You can't yeah. you can't hold him as a criminal in your country when nobody's willing to yeah, when charge no him as a criminal. Yeah, when no crime was committed in no that crime. country. Yeah, and no actually if you think about it, no crime at all because he was deemed insane. In France, yeah. In France, where the crime happened. Exactly. Ow. 
So not long after Ishii was released from the mental institution, he was catapulted into fame even further. He authored a second book, this one about the days he had spent in relative captivity with tales of life in his early childhood sprinkled throughout his tales. Although that book didn't reach the level of his, his first autobiography, it practically cemented his status. He was now not only a killer, he was an established author. Ishii never missed an opportunity to have his moment in the spotlight. It seemed like all he had to do was snap his fingers and the media came out in droves. Various members of the media thought they would be able to profit off his celebrity. Therefore, when he invited a group of reporters to his apartment to immortalize his paintings of nude women, they didn't hesitate to RSVP. In fact, a Japanese gourmet magazine conducted the, an interview with Ishii when the article was published. There was a large front page cover photograph of him looking rather relaxed and he was sitting at a table looking into the camera coyly and he was holding some chopsticks poised right in front of his mouth as if he were taking a big bite of quote meat that's the one that i actually yeah. have isn't on a weird the photo? podcast yeah so in this that, episode yeah in that article the reporter interviewing Ishii asked him if he was fond of preparing meals his response which seemed rehearsed was just that one time then the interviewer asked him what he felt about so to that Miyazaki guy who who had the Marfan syndrome that we featured on uh-huh. episode 115. Yep, yep. Shimatsu. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't remember how to pronounce it. Ishii made his disgust clear. It was as if he couldn't comprehend the other man's need to repeatedly carry out his acts. According to Ishii, he was so repulsed by the acts he committed, he didn't have the desire to repeat them. Apparently, his cannibalistic desire wasn't one and done, according to him here. Since his release, there have been several documentaries produced about him and the murder, and most especially his acts of cannibalism. He alone has authored and published approximately 20 books, including some for, is it manga? Manja? Is it manga? Jay? Oh, he's not even listening. Then there were... Hold on. Hey. M-A-N-G-A. Is it manga or manja? Are you a fucking psycho? I don't look at this shit. Thank you. Okay. Manga. Well, uh, okay. No. You're, you know what? No, I bet you she has a soft G. I was going to say, but if you look at, because, I mean, look. The, I know, but the question was legit because there is a word called manja, manja, manja. This Italian, but whatever. Okay, well, now I know. All right, let's get on with this damn thing. I want some damn dinner. Dying Hang over on. here. Ba, ba, ba. Where was I? I don't know. I, all I know is I'm going to die of emaciation. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I had it. Oh, During my research is then where there, you left off. You know, then there are the screenplays, including the somewhat autobiographical movie about his life. Ishii is also an accomplished artist. He per- his preferred subject is either, quote, himself, which I'm not lying. He has a lot of self-portraits. Is he naked? No, <laughs> but he's. it's almost like he's doing it not like pop art. But, um, like, surrealism, kind of like the cubism type, you know what I mean? Weird-looking uh-huh. art. So, um, accomplished artist. He per- his preferred subject is himself or nude women. At one point, he even had an active website for people with cannibalistic proclivities could pursue various articles that catered to their specific desires. All in all, since he was granted freedom, he has been busier than ever. During my research, I also discovered that Ishii had been the subject of several pornographic photo shoots and some movies. Jesus and Scott, Christ. Yeah, he has starred in some very 
specific, like, um, like really hardcore, not quite hardcore BDSM, but kind of like cannibalistic fantasy pornography, pornographic movies and shit. And I'm just wondering Fuck, how, man. because I've seen him naked. Not a lot to be desired there. I don't want to see him naked because his whole head looks like he's a space alien. But yeah. continue. In, I digress. In I fact, digress. he's appeared in at least six pornogra- Japanese pornographic films. I guess everyone has their proclivities, and some are willing to cash in on them. Some people have asked whether or not Ishii truly suffered from some sort of mental disorder. Then there are those that wonder if he truly, if he was truly a sexual sadist. Many have concluded the answer to that question is both. According to Ishii's own statements, he had an overwhelming need to completely possess a woman of Caucasian descent that he felt the best way to accomplish that was to consume her flesh. To him, it was if that need was more important than the breaths he took to sustain his own life. There are actual reports from psycho- psychological studies that claim there are quite a substantial number of people that have fantasies that include raping and murdering other people. Not to mention... A small portion of those include the person fantasizing about eating and having sex with their victim's remains. Even then, only a fraction of those actually take the steps to carry them out. Therefore, the question remains, what caused Ishii and the other sec- and other sexual sadists to cross the proverbial line and fulfill their desires? Some people have separated Ishii from the group of serial killers that include Bundy and Ridgeway, the Green River Killer, who have embraced the fact that they were truly serial killers and killers themselves. Some psycholo- psychologists believe that there was a high probability that Ishii felt some level of remorse after he committed murder and cannibalism. If that is true, it is, is it also possible that others have experienced some level of conscious awareness related to the atrocities that they have committed? When it comes to the majority of sexual sadists and true psychopaths who commit murder, this level of awareness and remorse is not even a true possibility. At the very least, if it is present, their concept is completely flawed to suit their beliefs. As we stated previously, beginning in episode four, when we talked about Carl Panzram, the very definition of psychopath is this. Someone who was incapable of having feelings of empathy or guilt or even the slightest bit of remorse when it comes to the horrific acts they commit. If people aren't willing to compare Ishii to the average psychopath, but rather an extreme risk taker who isn't held back by a fear of the final outcome of his actions, he doesn't fit that mold either. Considering he didn't follow through with his intentions on several occasions, it is assumed that he had misgivings about what he wanted to accomplish. However, in the end, the need to fulfill his fantasy outweighed what he knew to be right, and he committed the murder. The consensus among a lot of the professional psychologists isn't that Easy was a psychopath he was who was unable to resist his burning impulse to kill. They believe instead that he was merely a, quote, a dangerous sex criminal with an intricate defect in his personality. Even so, he was truly sane in, this, in the legal sense of the term. After all, he managed to convince law enforcement officials in France that he was nothing more than a legally incompetent madman. Right? Uh-huh. And so, what some people shouldn't forget, despite the controversy surrounding Ishii's brought, bought, Ishii's bought freedom, there is one thing that people should never forget. He is, he was and is a sexual predator who crossed the line to murder another human being. The only reason why he has not been considered to be a serial killer is that there is nothing to indicate that he committed the acts on more than one occasion. That being said, will there ever be a day when that fact changes? There's no denying 
the fact that Ishii is more than capable of committing murder. In fact, he has proven that he is willing to not only kill another human, but consume their flesh as well. It's also not beyond the scope of possibility that he that the depraved fantasy that he didn't act on for almost approximately 30 years is still active in his mind to this day. After all, it's not like a person who yearns for something like that can, can just flip a switch and it goes away. I mean, look at Scott and Cake. You know what I mean? I was going to almost say the same thing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I know it's wrong for me to eat a whole cake. I know it <laughs> but is. But it's so delicious. But I can't help myself because the cake is calling me. Yeah. So knowing that Ishii's depraved fantasies didn't likely go away overnight, people have been asking if women in the world today are safe from him completely. There's not really a definitive answer to that question either. There's a huge possibility that his status as a celebrity will make his need for self-preservation went out over his darkest desires because he's getting that attention from people now. Right? So it's pretty safe to say that Isha's life in the spotlight has helped others keep track of his actions. It might be that this fact alone will prevent him from victimizing another unsuspecting woman. However, should his status in the public eye ever wane, there is also a significant possibility that he will let his fantasy world become a reality again. But then again, to hear him explain it, some people might believe him and have their own doubts. Isi has claimed that for several years after he made his fantasy a reality, whenever he thought about that night, he felt ill. Not only that, he has said that since he committed the act and gotten it out of his system, he has essentially been cured. Considering what most professional psychologists know about the complex nature of humans and their psyche, is it possible for that to occur? As it turns out, even the most renowned professionals in the field disagree on the answer to that question. It is actually possible that is it actually possible that Ishii's bold claims regarding his future actions can't be contested? Look at it this way. When he made that statement, he also claimed that he no longer felt the desire or overwhelming need to murder another human. Considering he was released from captivity more than 20 years ago and is yet to reoffend, one would think there was some truth to that. That being said, does he still have that desire somewhere in his soul? Professional psychologists believe that in, that in fact it is still within his nature to act on his fantasies again. That is even more evident in Ishii's own claims that now his fantasies center around a beautiful young woman of Caucasian descent feasting on his flesh. He also has said that when it comes to women, he is no longer sexually attracted to Caucasians, but rather Asians as well. And let me read this last thing, and then I'll tell you one more thing. According to his skewed sense of morality, that is the only thing that will free him from the sleeping beast that lives in his soul. In other words, if beauty can defeat the beast, then Ishii's soul can be saved for eternity. Or shit. Right. I'm sorry. I'm calling bullshit on that. Well, no, because he has also said that he would like to taste flesh again before he dies. He is saying these things to stay popular in pop cult, in pop culture, oh, yeah. and in the media, and as a celebrity. And so, well, and I don't believe. Yeah. I don't believe. Okay, I, he may not kill another person. Okay, I might give him that. However, right. it does make me wonder how his sexual perversions have evolved. Right. Because okay. Trying to figure out how to explain my sexual well, preferences. Okay, let's say hypothetically, you like BDSM. Okay. Okay, but it doesn't start off with whips, chains, and handcuffs and ball gags. No, it, it starts, starts off, off with, with spanking and like nibbling and yeah. You know, like me, 
you know, I'm very dominant in my entire business world. Um, oh, so, so I just have to throw you down. I want to be less dominant in bed. So if a chick takes control, to me, that's freaking smoking hot. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I have a huge amount of responsibility and a huge amount of control over everything in my life. Right. So, and so you're more reserved. So... In the world of BDSM, it started out with just like, hey, I want you to like tie me to the bed. And then, hey, maybe you should spank my ass. And then it evolved to, hey, I kind of want you to be even rougher. Maybe you smack me on the face and call me names. Are you reading my diary again? No, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. I'm just trying <laughs> no, to get perspective. No, I understand what you're saying. But there's an evolution. That's my whole point. No, there is. And I'm wondering. And it's a trust factor, too. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm just wondering how this dude is. He, his sexual proclivities, mm-hmm. I don't believe, are going to stop. No, where I don't think he they're going to stop. I don't think they're gone. I uh-uh. think that they're going to evolve. Now mm-hmm. they could evolve for the good. Okay, they could it, they could evolve to where he's going. Like, look, I'm I'm just happy that a girl's touching my penis. <laughs> um, you know, or, put some ice in your mouth so you feel cold. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, it could be like, hey, I wonder what it's like to have sex with a corp that's cold. Right. So hey, put yourself in some ice water, and then right. that's going to slowly change. And it could go, it could just stay that way or it could become more grotesque. We don't know. Well, exactly. And like I said, when, well, and then during the interview that I saw, I saw another interview too with his brother there with him, right? And the, and he lives now in Japan, somewhere in Japan under an assumed name, right? However, people still know what he looks like. So when tourists and shit see him on the streets, he takes selfies with them. You know what I mean? Jesus so Christ. So he's still living in that celebrity status. Yeah. So I think if that ever went away and he felt unimportant again, I think he would do it. I agree. To get that back again. I agree. And I think that he's harboring other... Oh, totally. Especially when he said that he would like to eat, consume another more human flesh before he died. And his yeah. brother said, but you wouldn't eat me, right? And Ishii just kind of looked at him sideways and didn't answer. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah, so his That's brother's awesome. not even safe. <laughs> But yeah, he was a real sick dude, but you know. You ready to wrap this one up? Yesterday. Why are you still talking? Remember, folks, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out, check us out, our, check out our blogs on Medium, <laughs> Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, just type in at BrutalNation. We'll pop right up, get all the story without any of my BS or anything like that. Check out our YouTube channel, which is just under Brutal Nation. We can use some more followers, and your help is greatly appreciated. Trust me, it is. <laughs> this show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. And if you're hearing this on anybody else's podcast, and they're a thieving bastard. <laughs> Look, I almost said when you said it, anything helps. I wanted to say, just love us. <laughs> we just need you to love us. And touch my pee-pee. Oh, no, oh, that, no. That, that's inappropriate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's really bad. Ma'am, ma'am, you need to back up. No, because you're, cause you're like 10. Go away. Uh, no, what the fuck is so wrong bad. with me? What the hell is wrong with me? Fuck. Jesus Christ. All right. We will see you folks next week. So you all have yourselves a great, fantastic weekend. Drink a drink for me and say salute. Bye-bye. Bye.